0: We've all done stupid things in a moment of anger, sadness, or grief. It may be a regretful statement or a foolish action, but it is something that we can all relate to at some point in our chaotic lives. Most of us will be filled with anger at certain points in our time. I myself have had issues of anger in the past due to certain mental health conditions that I have and still continue to work on. It is important for us to feel the emotions we feel and to let them out when we do. Yet, it is also important for us to control these emotions, to not explode and act out in regretful ways, although it is easy to see why so many of us fail to find that balance on certain occasions. There are times that things will happen that we cannot control outside of us, that will trigger something inside that we did not know lurked beneath the surface. Some things push certain people too far, taking them that extra step over the edge in one way or another. But what if those actions we took in a heated moment would take us so far that they would haunt us for all eternity? My name is Luke Mordew, and this urban legend is The Weeping Woman. We all, no matter what nation we are in, have our own boogeymen that haunt our children's imaginations. Many cultures use scary stories as an age-old method to keep them in check, intentionally inducing fear amongst their unruly ways. The name itself is bogeyman amongst the shores of Britain. In America, its name is the ever so slightly different bogeyman, although, perhaps due to films, I myself have always used the American pronunciation. As mentioned in an earlier episode, Slender Man temporarily took up the mantle of the Boogeyman for a generation, remaining as mysterious and otherworldly as any Boogeyman before it. In some countries though, the being that takes this mantle was no mysterious figure. In some cultures, not only is there a backstory, there is a purpose, a goal, a tragedy and a fear that cannot be matched by any shadowy figure. In Mexico, the boogeyman is a vengeful spirit of a woman desperately seeking her lost children, weeping into the night, wailing into the darkness, eventually given the name of La Yolona. In my telling of a fictionalized time where the weeping woman was witnessed, we will follow young Veronica and her cousin Diego on a hot summer evening on the streets of Mexico. It had been years since Veronica's parents had moved from Mexico to the United States of America in the hopes of creating a good life for their young daughter. They lived in a typical home, making reasonable money at the jobs they worked to ensure they could follow the so-called American dream. Their daughter's schooling was nothing special, but it wasn't bad either, and Veronica was above average in most classes for a good while. The changes they had fought for and the sacrifices they had made seemed to have been paying off for many years. That was, at least, until Veronica turned 13. They knew realistically this wasn't the case, although it seemed almost as if she had changed overnight, now seeing herself as an adult, instead of a child in her teenage years. Her attitude towards them, towards life, towards school and more had seemed to take a complete U-turn. There was a new group of girls she would begun to hang around with inside and outside of school, who her father had blamed for the changes. Her mother, on the other hand, saw it as one of many factors, noticing the change was far more than what they could bring. By the end of the school year, they weren't sure on what to do with her. Her attendance at school had gotten worse, and her detentions had grown more consistent. They knew something had to change before they went back to school from the summer break. This, something has to be done, became... It's time to do something, the night her father found his young daughter drunk in a field a few blocks from the house on one Saturday night. It was by the following Wednesday that Veronica was arriving at the front door of her uncle Hector's home down in Mexico. He was her father's oldest brother, the strictest, scariest and firmest of all of his siblings. He had agreed to take her on for the summer, giving her chores to do, as well as keeping her in line with a few life lessons. At first she fought back, trying her luck as much as she could against her uncle that she barely knew. But fairly quickly she began to realise that she would need to play ball to have the remnants of a happy life here. It wasn't all bad. Her cousin Diego was near enough the same age as her, and her uncle could be funny when she behaved. And so, she began to do so more often. As a reward for being so good for the last few days, and in an attempt to make her feel more at home with her extended family, Uncle Hector had sent her and Diego out to the shops to get some snacks. For tonight, they were going to sit and watch a movie. They had gone and picked up some items, some that Veronica recognized, and some that she had never heard of before in her life, trusting Diego to decide on what was good and within budget. Once they had paid and bagged up their goodies, they had begun to venture back to their home, ready for an evening of relaxing as a family as they followed the road ahead, filled with the twists and turns at every corner. Veronica looked up at the darkening sky as the sun began to set. She could hear the sounds of music and the car horns consistently blaring from what seemed to be every corner in the distance. She felt as if her clothes were constantly sticky, her eyes always heavy in the warmth of this hot country. "'Jesus is hot, I don't know how you manage it,' she complained." Diego sniggered under his breath, replying, You get used to it. Yeah? When? She hit back with a smile. I've been here over a week and I'm as sticky as I was the day I got here. Diego laughed. She wasn't sure why, but he always seemed to find her complaints amusing, as if she was the funniest person he knew. She didn't mind this. In fact, it was nice for her to bring a smile to someone's face again, as for so long she had brought nothing but trouble to her parents. She looked across the road and watched two men as they strolled down the street together in deep conversation, whilst one kicked every puddle he passed like a toddler. It had rained all day, only stopping about half an hour earlier, just in time for them to go to the shops, and this had surprised her a great deal. She knew realistically the rain, of course, fell in Mexico, and yet she had never seen it happen in the film and TV shows she would watch. Rain was simply not something she associated with the country by any stretch of the imagination. That was one thing she loved about this place, the surprises it brought. Each building, every smell, all of the sounds brought their own unique perspective to her senses. Things that she had never witnessed before as she darted her eyes around the street to take it all in. But it was during this that Veronica witnessed something that seemed out of place, even in this exciting part of the world. As they had walked past one of the long alleyways to her left, shadowed by the buildings around it in the sunset, she could have sworn she had just seen a woman standing by herself, wearing a long white dress, crying into the darkness. She stopped, stepping back to the alley she had just passed by to get a better look. But to her surprise, the woman was gone. She was confused. Why was she there dressed that way? Why was she crying? What had happened to her? Where had she gone? Diego stepped back, looking down into the shadow of the alley before asking her what it was she was doing. I swear I just saw a woman crying, she replied. He turned to look down the alley again, hearing nothing but the sounds of streaming water in the distance, remnants left behind from the downpour earlier that day. I can't hear anything, he began to say, but Veronica cut him up to abruptly state, she was there, I swear it. He laughed and shook his head, enjoying her humour once again as he said, stop messing with me, let's go home. But before he could even turn to walk away, they both froze as the sounds of the crying woman began to echo from the shadows beside them. Veronica turned back to the alley once more, calling out, See, I told you, we should check she's okay. But as she turned to Diego, she noticed his eyes had widened and his face had grown pale, already stepping back away from the shadow of the alley and into the soft orange glow of the setting sun, ever so slightly shaking his head. We should go, he whispered. "'Why?' she asked. "'Just trust me, Veronica. You don't know about La Llorona.'" Veronica tuttered in frustration as she turned away from him, stepping further into the shadow of the alleyway, exclaiming, "'I'm not from Mexico, but I am Mexican Diego. I know who La Llorona is.'" She felt somewhat patronized and defensive over his assumption that she wouldn't know such a large part of their culture's folklore. In an instant, she could feel herself getting her back up, growing defiant and agitated as she continued down the alley. She made it only two steps before Diego lunged forward, grabbing her arm to stop her. Veronica, don't, he pleaded. Although she read this as more of a demand and pulled away from him with force, snapping back, it's a story Diego, we're not little kids anymore. Someone's upset and I'm going to make sure she's okay. She turned once more, stepping further into the shadow as Diego stepped back into the light of the road once again, watching her as a wave of anxiety covered his heart and soul. The ground ahead of her was uneven. The walls were peeling away. Rubbish was scattered across the floor, with the trash cans filled to the brim. The atmosphere here was strange, feeling notably colder than the road behind her with an eerie dampness in the air. She stopped, finally delving deep enough for her liking. She looked down at the stream-like puddle that laid out in front of her, created by the pouring rain that fell from the building above making a stream into the darkness ahead. The cries were faint, but consistent as she grew closer. She noticed a slight whisper emitting itself amongst the tears, as if the weeping woman was also speaking, ever so faintly to herself somewhere here in the shadow. Veronica could speak some Spanish, but she could not make out what was being said. It was too quiet, hidden under too many cries that had begun to grow, evolving into wails as the woman's desperate plea echoed around Veronica, the sound waves bouncing from wall to wall. She looked ahead, but could see no sign of life. She turned back to where she had just come from, checking by the trash cans to see if she would accidentally passed her, but there was nobody. She could hear her, and yet she could not see her. It was all getting too strange now, so Veronica decided to give it one last go by asking, is everything okay? The moment she asked this simple, caring question, the wailing stopped dropping her with nothing but the sounds of water, mixed in with the distant, muffled sounds of cars and music. She had now grown fearful of her situation, reluctantly admitting that perhaps Diego was right and that she shouldn't have followed the weeping woman's cries. She looked down at the water ahead of her, understanding that it should be less than an inch deep, nothing but a temporary stream strolling downhill ahead from the previous rainfall, but it didn't look that way. Instead, it looked thick, dark and hollow, as if she could dive inside and swim. This was one unnerving thought too many, as she turned around once more to see Diego was still standing by the warmth of the sunset at the end of the alley. His hands clenched together into fists as he anxiously watched on, gripping the bag of snacks in his now pale hands. He had watched her every step, his eyes watering as goosebumps erupted over his body. He stood there and watched as she turned back to him, feeling relieved that she now finally was going to come back. But that relief was short-lived as the breath left his body. Behind Veronica, rising from the shallow water, was the head of the weeping woman. His body tensed as he slammed the bag of snacks to the floor, screaming at the top of his lungs for her to run. But by now, the weeping woman was standing behind the troubled young girl. Before Diego could react, move or say another word, she had reached out, grabbed Veronica by the neck and dragged her back pulling her into a watery grave. Diego screamed again, darting forward as fast as he could, knowing he couldn't fight off the curse of La Llorona, but filled with the instinct to try and save his cousin. He quickly arrived at the stream and jumped inside to chase them, but to his dismay, all he did was create a splash as his trainer hit against the shallow puddle below his feet. He paced around, screaming her name, desperate for any sign of her response, but all that came was his own voice bouncing off the walls and back at him. His cousin was gone, dragged into the darkness by the weeping woman, never to be seen again. He didn't know what to do or what to say when he got home. How was he going to explain her disappearance? But as he pondered, standing amongst the shallow stream, he began to hear the cries of the weeping woman once again she had realized veronica was not her child and had returned diego was not going to make the same mistake his cousin had and he instantly turned darting up the alleyway and into the safety of the street where he would continue to run crying and wailing just as she had done so before him screaming she is real she is here many years ago in Mexico, or so the story goes, that there lived a beautiful young woman by the name of Maria. Although her beauty was objectively clear for all to see, she was a poor woman from a poor family. Even so, she had caught the eye of a Spanish nobleman. The two were from very different worlds, not only because he was rich whilst she was not, but also because his people had colonized her people's land. The Spanish were hated by many, and she knew in her heart that she should have hated him also, although she could not help but fall in love with his charms. Soon enough, she was living in a large house with a river rushing by. The Spanish nobleman was often away, but would regularly visit. Her life had improved. She was wealthy and in love, now with two children that she had bore with the Spanish nobleman. As the fairy tales of this kind often go, it would seem this would be the happy ending of this story. Although, It wasn't long before Maria had begun to notice that the attentions of the nobleman were drifting further and further away from her. Over time, the nobleman's arrival seemed to grow more sparse, only feeding into Maria's anxieties until the day they had engulfed her entirely. She was walking down a pathway near the river with her children when they were approached by a carriage. It eventually slowed and stopped as the nobleman addressed the children from inside. Maria watched through her heartbroken tears as the man that she loved ignored her completely, now sitting beside a younger, elegant, beautiful Spanish woman more suited to his place in society, his new bride. The carriage continued and they left, not once acknowledging her existence, leaving her for good with her two children. In a fit of rage, heartbreak, pain, horror and disgust, Maria dragged her two children away from the path and into the river beside them. It is here that she would drown them under the flowing water that covered their little faces before taking her own life. Once Maria had arrived at the gates of heaven, she found herself unable to enter. She would soon learn that her children's souls were now lost, and until she could find them, she would not be allowed any peace. And so... She was forced to come back to Earth, where she walks amongst us as a spirit, weeping and wailing, searching for her lost children, taking any that she can, perhaps even yours. The tales of Maria vary, but the points remain almost consistently the same. In other tellings of the tale, Maria would spend her days as a peasant in her poor surroundings, whilst her nights were spent in a beautiful white gown that she would use to entice and thrill the men who admired her. In this variation, she already had two children at home, making it difficult for her to spend the evenings reveling in the attention that she had grown so fond of. Often, she would leave them alone while she was out with the gentlemen of the area, until one day... Her two sons had been found drowned in the river by her home. Some would claim that the drowning had occurred due to her neglectful and covetous ways. Others would say that she herself had drowned them to make life easier. Either way, she was once again the cause of her children's demise. Most variations tell the story of the nobleman and the heartbreak Maria had felt. Although the manner in which the murders occurred are known to change ever so slightly, perhaps in a way to soften the blow of the murderer's intentions, allowing us to sympathize with her pain a little bit more. In versions like these, after the carriage of the nobleman and his new love leave Maria and her children on the pathway, she drags them to the river and throws them inside. Only now, she instantly realizes what temporary insanity had taken hold of her, and she heads into the current of the water to retrieve them in a horrified panic. But it is too late the children are gone swept away by the strong current around her disappearing in the water forever she mourns her loss every day and night donning her white gown as she wanders up and down the river hoping to find her children so that they can be reunited again during this time she refuses to eat or drink dedicating her entire existence to finding her lost children She grows thin and pale whilst her gown turns soggy and soiled, until the day that it finally catches up with her. Maria would die by the water of the river, still searching for her children up until her final breath. Death, it seems, was not enough to stop this mother's heartbreaking grief, and shortly after, townsfolk begin to witness her spirit as it still walks up and down the river, searching for her children. Her weeping and wailing becomes a curse amongst the people of the town and eventually they grow fearful of going out after dark. Many sightings occur of her white gown floating above the ground or water beneath her feet as she continues to cry, searching for her lost children. Soon, she is forgotten as Maria and simply known as La Llorona, translating as The Weeping Woman. I think I hacked in we're on the air Shh, security's outside but how's my hair it's a radio, radio station psst, psst. you guys hear about the Beyond the Shadows podcast with Ryan and Scott you guys into paranormal what about true crime how about UFOs and cryptids we also have mad hauntings we got security no we don't we're not big enough to need it yet no we got security hey what are you guys doing get out of here Listen to the
1: Beyond the Shadows podcast, Beyond the
0: Shadows! Children to this day are warned not to go out into the dark or to behave when they are required to do so, because if they do not, they may just attract the spirit of La Llorona, who would take them away and drown them in a watery grave. Her cruelty varies depending on what version of the tale you are hearing and by whom is telling the story. Some say we are all in danger, with her rage expanding from children to women and men. Others say that it is only children that need to worry, turning her story into that of a boogeyman amongst the Mexican people. She has become a warning to many over the years, not only being a boogeyman for the children, but also a warning to straying fathers, as well as a narrative of caution to neglectful mothers. All that is needed is for you to type in her name in a search engine such as Google or YouTube to find a plethora of supposed footage of her haunting the men and children of Mexico and beyond. Her legend was seemingly first documented in some capacity around the 1550 mark in the Florentine Codex, an encyclopedic work of the Nahua people of Mexico, titled The General History of Things of New Spain, written in the 16th century by the Franciscan friar Bernardino de Sahagún. Here, she seems to reveal herself to be several pre-Hispanic Mexican goddesses blended as one, with two notable Aztec goddesses making their presence known. To some, her story is thought to be one of ten omens that foretold the conquest of Mexico, which leads us to the first of these Aztec gods, Siuacahuatl, known as the Snake Woman, described as the omen of war and was known for being a savage beast and an evil omen. She would also adorn white and walk in the shadows of the night weeping and wailing. This goddess is thought to also connect to the sixth of the ten omens that are recorded in the Florentine Codex, foretelling the conquest of Mexico as the voice of a woman wailing at night, crying about the fate of her children. Later, a new codex would be written by the Dominican friar Diego Dulan, who detailed the origins of the Aztec gods. Here, he talks of the goddess Coatlicue, who seems to be often linked to, or even thought to be the same, as Cihuacoatl. She was the mother of Huitzilopochtli, the god of war, and was known as being the ugliest and dirtiest that one could possibly imagine. It was said that she would wait for her son to return to her from war, weeping and moaning for him whilst he was gone. Scholars and historians throughout time have found links between La Llorona and several goddesses, those of childbirth, those of war, those who collect the souls of the dead, She is known by many names, reportedly following many paths, both saviour and enemy, nurturer and destroyer. Her story has become solidified amongst the zeitgeist of Mexican culture, spreading further around the world as each country interconnects that little bit more each year. Although, she is not the only story of her kind and tales of the woman in white are common. The ancient Greeks had a tale that was notably similar in design within the story of Medea, the woman who killed her children as an act of revenge against her lover who had abandoned them. The ancient Greeks also had the tale of the demigoddess Lamia, in which Hera, Zeus's wife, learned of an affair between Lamia and Zeus, killing all of their children, and in her anger, Lamia decides to kill other women's children in return. The stories are different and yet similar enough to find comparisons, and this is not to mention the hundreds of tales of ghostly women draped in white who haunt the halls across various ancient buildings around the world. These women in white are so common that the term itself, white lady, is known amongst several cultures as the title of a ghostly presence. A slight google search will bring up lists from around the world that show each country's own white lady. In England, where I'm from, it feels as though there is a white lady in every castle that I visit, almost always connected to a theme of loss, or more notably, a betrayal by a lover. Another similarity to other cultures' legends is found in the tale of the Banshee, a creature from Irish folklore that is most definitely worth noting. A Banshee is a female spirit who heralds the death of a family member, usually with the act of wailing, shrieking, or keening. There is no denying that the tale of La Yolona is, at its heart, a Mexican urban legend, although there does seem to be evidence that this tale may have been influenced, or at the very least slightly morphed by several cultures. Camilla Townsend presented evidence deconstructed by indigenous sources, particularly the Florentine Codex, about how the post-conquest elite combined Christian and indigenous ideas to explain the conquest that had occurred. and. Almost inevitably, beliefs and tales mixed and merged, forming the idea that perhaps, La Llorona was a combination of both indigenous and European legends, taking the white lady overseas to the new land. Although, with this legend, there is no definitive answer to where it originated or what its underlying meaning, if anything, even is. La Llorona remains a divisive character To most, she is the boogeyman. To some, she is a banshee-like figure. To others, she is a traitor to her people. She is a victim and a monster, a mother and a murderer, a beauty queen and a fright. The layers of her story and the variations in their purpose are the reason that the spirit has remained walking the streets of Mexico for so many years, morphing and changing as urban legends usually do. Becoming so many different things, to so many different people. To understand La Llorona's importance to summon the world, it is first important to understand her tale. Due to the oral history of her story being spread from mouth to mouth, the changes have been inevitable and constant, evolving to different conclusions with different households, towns or cities. Although much of the tale remains consistent across the board, it is the agenda and purpose of the story, as well as the intention of her spirit, that varies, allowing her to now become a spirit that transcends time, cultures and countries. Whilst the roots of La Yolana may appear to be pre-Hispanic, the earliest published reference to the legend as we know it is that of a 19th century sonnet by the Mexican poet Manuel Carpio. The poem itself bears no mention of a woman murdering her children, instead referring to her as Rosalía, a woman who was murdered by her husband. La Yolona has roots far beyond the world of legends, with signs of her roots amongst the people of Latin America between the 5th to 19th century, when just under 2 million Spanish people immigrated to the land. At first, it seemed that marriage between indigenous women and Spanish men was fairly common and widely accepted. But before long, with the arrival of more Spanish women, things changed. Being Spanish born made these women far more desirable as wives and mothers, causing a rise in their status. Inevitably, this, of course, dropped the status of the indigenous women, with Spanish men deciding to leave them for younger Spanish women. With reports claiming that the children were, on occasions, also taken away from the indigenous women under the notion that they were not capable of properly socialising them, it is not hard to see how the story of La Llorona may have formed, perhaps even layering itself over the tales of women in white that would have brought themselves to the shores of Mexico from the invading lands of Europe. A connection made between the legend and our world history is that of La Malinche, a Nahua woman who served as a translator and concubine for Hernan Cortes, the Spanish man who led the expedition that caused the fall of the Aztec Empire. She would give birth to a son and eventually would be considered both the mother of modern Mexico and a traitor against her people for aiding the Spanish, becoming as controversial and vague as the legend of the Weeping Woman itself. Although, her story may not be as black and white as these titles may suggest her to be. She was an indigenous woman who was enslaved and sold to Cortez, where she would be raped and seemingly forced to stand by his side. Her will to stay alive kept her going through the brutal conditions that she was dealt, doing what she must to survive. To many amongst history, she would become and remain the betrayer of her people. And her tale would be told in parallel to those of Eve in the Original Sin. The demonization of her character led to her being remembered as a seductress to the Spanish, turning her people into the invaders in return for fortune. To some, the tale of her spirit roaming the streets and wailing for her children is not meant to be taken too literally, but it is more metaphorical in its tale. This story places La Minch as La Yolona, weeping over the loss of the indigenous people, Known in this tale as her children. That said, this is not the only place where the tales of La Minch and La Llorona run parallel to each other. As, although she may have bore Cortez's son, he did in fact go on to marry a Spanish woman instead. In most tellings of La Llorona's story, it is her spite that causes her to murder her children amongst a red rage of jealousy, rejection and hysteria. Although as time would go on, many Mexican women began to retell the story, morphing its agenda to that of a woman creating spirits to curse men. In these tales, it was not necessarily the children she was hunting, but adulterous husbands. The tale ventured from the eerie whispers around the campfire to the written word eventually evolving to songs before blending into the narratives of plays that would eventually morph into tales told on the silver screen. She is often used as a metaphor to look back on the conquest of the colonial period, with this happening in plays as far back as 1959. Filmmakers and storytellers abound have begun to reshape her story once more to one with a deeper meaning than the boogeyman she had been cast as for so long. Although in the year 2019, The Conjuring franchise made a film based on the darker elements of the urban legend, calling it The Curse of La Llorona. Although, seemingly without a hint of irony, the Mexicans in the film were placed as side characters, ensuring that the leads were white and American. Perhaps, inadvertently proving just how relevant this new, metaphorical version of the tale still is.
1: urban legends is written and produced by luke mordew research by victoria Lebrecht in association with mordew pictures original score by billy Jupp with additional sounds from storyblocks.com if you like what you've heard and want to hear more make sure to click subscribe on your chosen podcast provider and delve into the mysteries of our previous and future episodes if that's not enough for you then join us on patreon for hidden episodes extra content and a chance to vote on what legends we cover If you have the ability to rate and review on your podcast provider, please do. Every positive review helps us climb the ladder to a larger audience. If you cannot, or if you just want to spread the word of the work we do, feel free to recommend the podcast to your friends and family. The more we grow, the more legends we can dissect. To find out more, visit lormore2.com forward slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at ulpodcast, on Instagram at urbanlegends.podcast, or on Facebook by simply searching Urban Legends Podcast.